0: Warning, the following episode will contain plagiarism, college hate, prolific to a staggering jealousy-inducing degree, talk of men with female names, sex on top of sex, librarian lockboxes, tree hacking, and the following episode will contain overthinking a book. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. My name is S.D. Harker, librarian, writer, part-time lumberjack. You can find me on Twitter at BandWriter. You can follow the library at BandWriter on Twitter, also Instagram, Facebook, and the Federation of Chainsaw People, but I don't pay attention to most of those other than Twitter. If you'd like to help support the Band Library, Go on our Patreon over at patreon.com slash library. There's a link in the post and on the website. For a dollar a month, just about $12 a year if you do the math right, maybe more or less depending on how many months your year has, you can be a member of the Friends of the Band Library and get access to damn near everything we've ever posted going back 127 years or you know, eight, however much there is, I don't know. Like to welcome our newest friend in the library James. Thank you for your support. We appreciate you. Today we're going to be talking about The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. It's about a kid who loves this tree and the tree loves this kid back and well, as the boy grows up, the tree gets hacked to pieces. The author of this is of course, like I just said, Shel Silverstein. He's an interesting fellow. Um there's a lot more to him than I could probably go into. We'll just do the loosey-goosey. Uh, he was born September 5th, 1930, Chicago, Illinois. Grew up there, drawing first by copying handicap comics. Just fake it till you make it, I guess. From his own words, he wasn't great at baseball or getting women's attention, so he concentrated on his art and flourished from there. By the time, apparently, from the quote I read in Publishers Weekly, that by the time he actually could get the attention of women and things like that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, he was already really good at his art and wanted to keep pursuing that. So maybe that's part of the curse or whatever love of art itself, is that you fall in love with the art first before you can do the thing you really want to do. He went to college at the University of Illinois. but was expelled. I couldn't find the reason why. Then he went to the Academy of Fine Arts, I believe the Chicago Academy of Fine Arts. Bud was drafted into the Army. He served in Japan and Korea. And while in the Army, he drew cartoons for Stars and Stripes. And that was later published as the book Take 10, 1955. Now, after college, which he also said was kind of a waste of time, he should have spent just traveling around. He began submitting cartoons to magazines while selling hot dogs at ballparks around Chicago. He was published in Sports Illustrated this week, and if my notes are to be believed, Look Magazine. I couldn't really read them at that point and couldn't find where I saw that, so fun. (laughs) Never said this was a first-rate podcast. This is probably very low down on the research, but here we are. His first big publication was a travelogue for Playboy in 1957. They paid him to travel the world writing cartoons on what he saw. He found more, and I believe there was one I found that uh, in Sweden. He had apparently stepped out and said, well, it was just a guy sort of looking around and said, well, if they aren't yodeling in five minutes, I'm going back to my hotel. Just kind of little funny things here and there. He would have been pretty good at Twitter if he'd lived that long. Spoiler alert, he's dead. He found more success with Now Here's My Plan, 1960. The cover showed two men chained to a wall, and the title, Now Here's My Plan, was seen in various ways, both optimistic and pessimistically, like, oh, we're all chained to this, but we all have plans to get out. Silverstein himself said he most of his work tried to be as optimistic as possible, but with some downer endings, because... Well, that's what life is, because if you're given nothing but good and hopeful endings where everything works out right, then you're more dissatisfied in life, because nine times out of ten, that's not what you get. Kind of like that philosophy, just keep things on an even keel, no reason to get your hopes up, just work with what you got, kind of like that. It's around this time, uh, early 60s, he's connected with Ursula Nordstrom, an editor at Harper and Collins. He didn't think he could write for children, but his friends pushed him into it, and he published The Giving Tree around this time, making him a huge success. Uh, he liked a couple other books, uh, Uncle Shell's A, B, Z, uh, Giraffe and Half, and The Lion Who Shot Back, way more as a children's books. But uh, The Giving Tree is what, he, what we're talking about today, so that's what I'm going on to. Uh, He was also a prolific songwriter. Uh, His most famous is Johnny Cash's Boy Named Sue, which he got a Grammy for. He also wrote dozens of sketches, a screenplay with David Mamet. He won and was nominated for tons of awards, including Grammys and Oscars. Uh, As far as family life goes, he never married, claimed to have slept with hundreds, if not thousands of women. He did have two children, a daughter who unfortunately passed away at a young age, and a son who is still living and, believe, a songwriter in New York. On May tenth, nineteen 1999, he had a heart attack in his house in Key West and died. The work he did left behind, leave behind was 22 books, 17 albums, some of which were recordings of the books, although some of his original materials were reportedly burned in the 2008 Universal fire that broke out on their lot. So that's just that. I will note there, if you are a creative type that get some type of acclaim, try to get your shit in a local archive. Those are usually a little bit better than random lots on movie studios. Now, why are we talking about The Giving Tree? Well, there's lots of reasons to. It's a weird-ass book to, you know, quote myself. Uh, but the number one reason is 1988 in Colorado, apparently... From publication up to 1988, the Boulder Public Library kept it behind their desk in one of the locked reference sections because, well, the librarian, for the for at least an extended amount of time, thought it was sexist and just kept it locked up. And we'll get into that a little bit later as to the different political uh, lookings at this arguably very sensitive or very simple book with lots of... It's one of those still waters books, you know, it's very calm on top. It seems very simple, but you can extrapolate a lot of weird shit from it. So let's get into the plot itself. Uh, Well, first, a little bit more about the book. It was shopped around to several places. He came up with the idea. It was turned down from Simon and Schuster for being too dark for kids and too simple for adults. But like I said, over at HarperCollins, Ursula dug it. And so they got it published. It is a simple black and white line drawings the text is usually very basic i think there's only like 2 or 3 pages that have more than like 50 words on a page it's very simple uh, easy to read it's about a tree whose reference is a she most of the book for the for the book who loves a boy and the boy would come and gather her leaves and pretend to be the king of the forest by making a little crown of the leaves And he'd climb up her trunk, and he'd swung from her branches, and he ate her apples. And in a very weird turn, they play hide-and-seek at one point, which is not usually what uh, trees do, but hey, why not? And he took naps under her, and he loved her. She loved him back. And he carves me and tea and a heart on her trunk. Me and tree is the usual interpretation of that. And the boy grows bigger and doesn't hang around the tree as much. But when he does, sometimes he brings people, a partner over. You see two legs sticking out from the side of the tree. Maybe he's having sexual encounters. Who knows? And there, during this point, there's also another heart shows up on the trunk. Me and YI or YL. Some take that interpretation and mean young love or love interest, young interest, something like that on the trunk but like i said a lot of the time he doesn't have time to hang around the tree and swing on her branches and eat her apples doesn't come around as much but the tree is happy and then one day the boy comes and he says you know hey what's going on tree and then the tree suddenly can talk which is a creepy thing he's playing hide and seek that's one thing a tree can Maybe do, or you can pretend that a tree is doing as it sways in the wind, but now it's fucking talking to him, so I wonder about this boy's sanity. But this is a children's book, so let's go with that. The boy says he wants money. He wants to take girls out, do things, buy things. The tree says, well, I can't give you money. I'm not that kind of tree, but I can give you these apples, and you can go sell them, and you can get money, and then you can be happy. So he gathers up the apples, and he leaves. He comes back a little bit later. Now he's got a he's got a tie on. The boy is older. He says he wants to he wants to build a house. He wants a wife. He wants a family. He wants more, more, more. The tree says, Well I can't give you a house, but I can give you my branches. You can build a house from my branches. I don't know how a tree knows that what a house is or money, but here we are. And he takes her branches and he goes and he doesn't come back, but then he can be happy. And the boy comes back and he's a lot older now. He's a little bit more slumped over. He's got himself a hat and he's got himself an overcoat. He's older, but she still thinks of him as a boy. The tree does and he says, I'm sad and I want to go away. You have to wonder what happened if he ever did get that house, if he ever got that woman, if he ever got wife and children or anything or if he's lost them all for one reason or another as things are wont to do coming and going the tree says well you can take my trunk and apparently she hasn't built any more leaves or apples or anything after this you can take my trunk and you can build a boat and you can sail away and you can leave and then you can be happy So he carves off the trunk and he leaves the stump of the tree with me and T still carved in it. I think it says something that he takes the part that says me and YL. And he goes away and the stump is just there and the tree is not happy. But she hopes the boy is. And the boy comes back and now he's old. Still got his hat but he's More slumped over. And he says. And I've got nothing else. And the stump says. And I'd have nothing else either. But you can sit on me. So the boy sits on him. On her. And they sit together. And the tree is happy. That's the end. It's a really weird dark tale. Um, There's. It's like surveyed as one of the top kids books of all time, parents, children, everybody kind of loves it. Sort of 1973. There was an adaption with Silverstein reading it out over, you know, animation. There's a nude version that I liked called, I accept this challenge, not by Silverstein, but it's a woman cutting a man down and reading that, whatever crazy bullshit you will. And there's lots of interpretations as to why this book was even popular. Or what it means. Now, I believe one of the publishers, they believe that Christians loved it. That they bought it, made it more popular, because it's a parable for giving. To give up to yourself. To not think for yourself. To give until you're done. You know, try to make someone else happy. Don't think of yourself. Think of others. Which, I, I don't know if that holds a whole lot of weight. It would hold weight if the tree grew back any. Grew back those branches. Grew back those apples. Grew back anything more. It doesn't seem like it does, though. As it gives more of itself to the kid, it dies. It goes away. It is less. It is less able to give. Until... Eventually, neither one of them can do anything else other than just sit. There's an environmental ethics idea, you know, more that we take from Mother Nature, the more we take from the land and the trees and the, you know, mining and grabbing, that there's not going to be a whole lot left. That the Earth has these things for us to use, but if we use them all up, eventually we're just going to be an old race of dead things sitting on top of dead things. That we should be careful of what we take, because nature will continue to give and give, or as much as we can take. Kind of like that one. That's one sort of fits, but it doesn't really fit with Silverstein, as far as I can tell. A friendship and co-parenting. Again, this is there's two sides of this coin. Uh, from what I could tell, some people say yes. This is much like the Christian parable of giving, kind of thing. That it's you helping another person out giving as much as you can to make others happy to make others believe or you know even a parent giving to a child as they grow up to help them succeed to give them what they want or desire to be healthier better people to work for themselves that kind of thing flip side of that is a good chunk of gaslighting uh, and just general abuse that you can uh, be led down the path of giving until you are empty giving until there's nothing left for you to give and then as you give out the person just goes away I think there's really a case for that that once the person uses everything they have of you And they leave, then, yeah, you're nothing left. This has also been thought, and this also really kind of falls in with Silverstein's that this is just a satire. That this is a, uh, along with the parallel, a parable of giving, that this just shows what adulthood is when you have any type of child or dependent or a friendship of that, that you're just going to give until you die one day. That's just the point of living, is to give them to yourself as an artist, as a person, as a human being. You're just going to give away everything you have until you die. Maybe that is the point. Maybe it is a dark way to get that point across. But eventually, you will just be left with nothing unchanging it is one thing to say the tree calls the boy the boy the whole time there's no aging for the tree it doesn't change but the boy changes throughout the entire story so this could just be a parable of the human race a satire on our willingness to just take and take and take until there is nothing left from this planet sort of the environmental meets the parable of giving all wrapped up in just this really mean satirical blow that you I mean, look at us look at us these sad little monkeys running around building our little houses and selling our little apples for money that we can trade for things when all we had to do at the beginning was just have sex under a tree and you know play hide and seek. And like I said, and then there's the selfish, but we kind of got into that. There's the no thanksgiving by the boy. It's all exploitation. It's all abuse. It's all him just wanting and needing and taking. Which I kind of work that it's a satire, actually more geared for an adult audience. I kind of like that dig that that's just what humanity is. We're just takers. We don't give back as much. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways to read this book. It's kind of a strange Twisted tail, like I said before, the very calm waters with just a lot going on underneath or nothing at all. It could just be a silly little story about a tree and a boy who uses her. much like we use things. How many things did you throw away today? Did you think about how they felt about that personification of little things of just anything? In the world, right? In the metal and all that, iPhone come from, ripped from the earth, forged. Did you think about that? Did you listen to this and you run? Let me just depress the shit out of you real quick. Which comes to our recommendation? Do I recommend this? Yeah, uh, I think it's one of those that should be read. It's a, like I said, there's a lot to really think about here, or you just take it as a nice little story. Do I think you should read it to your kids? I don't know. I don't have kids. That's up to for you to decide and kind of the whole point of this podcast. I'm just some asshole in his apartment thinking too hard on children's books. That's what I do. And that's all we're going to do for this week. Remember to help us out if you can on patreon.com slash band library, $1 a month, get you all this nonsense a little bit earlier. It normally would come out, I believe, next week. We're going to be doing a movie. We're going to dive back into that. Kingsman, The Golden Circle. We'll find out where that was banned. But for now, thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Dances and Dames by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0